Hey, Gavin. Hi, Louie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here. We're here. It's very early. It's 11 a.m. It's 11 a.m. So early. In, in, on the gay clock. Mm-hmm. Very oh. super early. <laughs> the gay clock that I, um, I'm always late to. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this is the Mixed Reviews. Hi, everyone. I'm Gavin. I'm Louie. And this is a podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or a genre, and we sort of talk about what's best and what's worst yeah we get the reviews we mix them up and we have opinions and we work it out absolutely uh today we're very excited we actually have a guest with us i know uh, it's crazy like actually hearing his voice live (laughs) right now oh is it normally just hello oh my god (laughs) i was gonna say it's naomi smalls (laughs) (laughs) i was shocked we didn't get a whispered club i know um mine sounds so sinister i guessed it on this podcast because I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just who we have here with us. Uh, we have Chris File, Yay. who is very lovely. You just heard his dulcet tones. Hey, gang. He, he's a writer and co-host of the lovely podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz, Love which it. is, yeah, so good. So good. So good. Woo, thank you I very remember, much. I remember, um, like, when you guys just had the Tumblr, and I was like, this idea is amazing. <laughs> Well, that was all the brainchild of my wonderful co-host and friend, Joe Reed. And then when he decided to make it into podcast form, he invited me to be the co-host. And now it's just kind of like our crazy niche baby that we love. And thank you so much for loving it as well and for plugging us. And I'm I'm happy to be here. We I remember when we did the um when you guys did the viola davis episode and you had us on to talk about widows yes. i was like i have to like immediately start being strategic about what episode i can force <laughs> you to have me as on as a guest because i love your guys' show and the concept of it and i just gotta say the subject that i did i feel like my whole life has been building to this mm-hmm. to like be on a podcast to <laughs> have like a deep dive conversation about this person love that like oh, i'm this so is excited. my super bowl like i've been training my whole life for this <laughs> please welcome so to the stage we're up. here we're ready I, I was wondering why you were doing all those like laps and running through the cones mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff i was like chris mm-hmm. is really into this <laughs> um, learned how to do the javelin just for this mm-hmm. <laughs> i gotta say chris you're gonna get goals okay you're oh, a winner okay. baby okay, good uh but before we move into this week's subject which we will tell you in a moment we have some old business to take care of and we'll just run through that real quick yeah so our last episode we talked about rachel vice um iconic um i fucked up the poll but we got enough people who voted anyway um so really quickly the constant gardener which she won her oscar for came in at zero percent um the deep blue sea which was your pick came in uh with 17 percent other uh came in at 19 percent, and that ranged from about a boy to the mummy we got so we actually got Ooh. so many messages about the mummy yeah more messages than i think yeah. we've ever gotten before like people just writing us to be like uh, the mummy. Yeah, the mummy. Rachel okay, Vice's- so the mummy, though, like, I would never say that that's one of Rachel's best performances, but, like, some of her line readings in that movie yes. are legitimately so funny. Somebody also sent us a message, uh, at Van is okay, to say the lobster. Ah, the lobster, so, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah fir- first place was the favorite, though, at 64%. Um, God, she wears some pants really well. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but... Enough with last episode. Our yeah. new episode. Rachel, we are done with you. Yes, <laughs> Rachel, she's gotten married. Um, <laughs> and uh, today's episode is all about Julianne Moore. Yes. Oh, uh, we are truly being so spoiled doing like queen after queen after queen. Exactly, exactly. We've, this is 
This is our third woman in a row. Normally we don't. We're like very we strategic. Try to, yeah, we're we like, try to mix it up. Yeah, yeah. But if like, that's frustrating at all for listeners, you can just blame it on me. I fully <laughs> strong armed this episode. Uh, oh, I genuinely don't think it's yeah, frustrating I was like, for anybody. I was like, to... oh no, I guess I'm gonna have to watch all these iconic <laughs> <Right> movies. <exactly. laughs> I know. I just hate my life. All these performances where she's earned raves. I know. Uh, <laughs> boo. Well, and like when you go back through her work. I don't think this is a subject where we're all necessarily going to have the same answers. <laughs> right, I know. Um, Chris, could you tell me a little bit about your, um, like, history with Julianne? Like, why were you, like, oh, so Jesus. aggressively obsessed with doing this episode? I mean, I think when I was a young cinephile mm. and, like, I was getting you know, mature enough teenage taste that like you start really paying attention to what's happening in film at the time was kind of her emergent period. Okay. Um, so it's like, she was like just one of the top tier actresses at the time when I was really starting to get obsessed with like new movies. And like, you know, I'm of the generation that like people always talk about the year of 1999 and how significant it was for movies. And like that, was like especially significant for me and like my age i would have been like 12 13 at the time and like i was lucky enough to like my dad took me to see movies like magnolia oh my and, god like, oh yeah um your dad's because, crazy like, I, ha- I know <laughs> and like i had interest in that so like i i was very fortunate to like not have to like sneak around to see some of these movies yeah um or like i could walk to the library and get them from the library myself <laughs> um with very little monitoring so it's I like just I'm imagine watching. like 13 year old chris being like um can i check out boogie nights thank you <laughs> I, exactly um uh, boogie nights i saw i think in high school though i was a little late to boogie nights but like julianne moore was the one that i instantly like connected to like oh this is my like performer this is the person who like you know how you are when you're like 12 13 and it's like it's very decisive who yeah. you're going to stand for lack of a better word oh, and for it's sure just, like it was absolutely immediate um with her and i'm pretty sure it happened with magnolia wow um but like right after that my dad got me for christmas like um remember when netflix was just discs oh yeah for sure well, the first movie that I like got from that was Safe. Oh, um, wow! So it's like Chris. Oh my I god! Know. Yeah, are you okay? Uh, <laughs> you're, you're so it's like so cool. I, Damn it! <laughs> I was doing like the deep dive on Julianne Moore and like going back and being like, oh yeah, I've seen The Lost World and she's in that. Oh yeah, I've loved Nine Months since I was a kid and it was not <laughs> appropriate for me to watch that movie. Oh, and she's the lead in that. Um. And I just, it was also the age where, like, at that point, I thought I wanted to be an actor. So it's like I'm Ugh. reading interviews with, like, all the actors that I love and, like, talking about their process. And it's, <laughs> I, like, thought that I would be the kind of actor with the perspective that she has. You know, oh she God. doesn't love rehearsal, really. She just likes to kind of go off of the cuff um, or, like, be prepared. But, like, she just wants the immediate moment to be what's on screen. Yeah. Um. I love that you're uh, basically like, I grew up wanting to be Julianne Moore. <laughs> essentially. Um, and yeah, like uh, on my podcast, we did an episode about Hannibal. And like, I remember gunning really hard for her to be Clarice Starling because I wanted her to be the movie star. And then it happened. And like, <laughs> I fully like treasured that Entertainment Weekly that had her yeah. on the cover after the announcement. That is, that um, is such a true be careful what you wish for moment. <laughs> I know the movie did not 
pay off for that and that does absolutely nothing for her <laughs> um but yeah i had a lot of degrees to my julianne moore fandom from a very young age and um i i just i had like the kind of fandom where for a very long time i saw literally everything that she touched um <laughs> everything chris (laughs) uh for a while and then when like the college years for me hit it Uh was like okay i don't need to see every movie where she plays a police officer oh my god yes (laughs) um she definitely i think the one that broke me and i was um next oh i think that was the first one after the string of them that i didn't see (laughs) um but yeah especially for somebody who did quite a bit of work i saw everything i saw her when she was on broadway um wow yeah Which, crazy fan right here it, it, it's that's i mean it's such a difficult thing to be such a fan of somebody who is so prolific because that's the thing that's going to happen is there's going to be it, you know sometimes less good than bad but there's a good amount of bad very They're bad just, you know yes. and that's um but i i will say i i rarely find her pulling a bad performance there's some bad performances i don't want i don't want to absolve her completely no but, yeah there are definitely but I think... there are movies i watched where i was just like oh i genuinely hate this movie but she's a bright spot in it but like i think I yeah think also sometimes i'm like she she doesn't know sometimes how to like control her powers i yeah. feel like she's such a she can be such a showy actress like she knows mm-hmm. how to cry and scream and right. kick about and sometimes i'm like girl turn it down yeah i mean to your point where she's not always bad in bad movies and there's times where she is bad in bad movies i think a lot of it is sometimes when she hasn't turned it out it's it's like she's a little miscast in things yeah um yeah where it's like it's the unfortunate thing where in hollywood women who when they become a certain age hollywood doesn't know what to do with them and it's really unfortunate and like you see it with her that you see it with a lot of other actresses where it's like they become bureaucrats or like cop villains in science fiction movies or like evil (laughs) matron in the hunger games i was just gonna say i I feel like i know every movie you're talking about yeah Yeah. yeah It's weird because she's never really had like a career lull, I would say. So she's kind of been able to, at least, you know, she didn't go away when she turned whatever. Right, which is so funny. And that's such a common thing we've talked about with with people you don't even think about. You know, if you go back and you listen to our Sandra Bullock episode, like she took a hiatus. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's so weird that, um, yeah, Julianne Moore's been very consistent. She just really hasn't had. And I, but it's like Chris, like you were saying, she kind of. I mean, she plays moms kind of out of the gate. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And she's been consistently doing that. Well, that's, and that's one of the things you also have to realize. She started so late. She, yeah. she started acting in films in her thirties, which yeah. for mm-hmm. like a woman is basically, right. But like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. She's done. She's dead. <laughs> exactly. Like, right. Like, oh, should we cast her or should we cast Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> yeah. to play this 50 year old? Jennifer Lawrence, woman? mother of six. <laughs> yes, exactly. So. Like it's she's such a, she's also an interesting case in that way. Um, like obviously it's not a detriment for people like us, right. but like crazy stupid, um, love love yeah crazy <laughs> yes. stupid crazy stupid Hollywood executives see her and think like decrepit old lady yeah which, yeah. which is crazy to hear that she started in her thirties. Um, Gavin, why don't we get a little bit more about Julianne Moore and move into our rewind? Let's do it. Excellent. Excellent. 
Julianne Smith. Uh, what? Yes, Julianne Moore's yes. real name. Um, she was born December 3rd, 1960, so I believe that makes her currently 58. What? Yeah. That's insane. She looks amazing. Yeah. 58? Yeah, 58. Yeah, I can't that, do math. I'm yeah. gay. <laughs> uh, I, I genuinely can't either, but I heard her say it in an interview. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, I believe you. Uh, but yes, Julianne Smith is her real name. Obviously, we've talked about this many times on this episode. The SAG has a lot of ro- rules about like who can be named what, and like, and there's many Julianne's Julie Smiths yeah. out there. It was her name was this Julie Smith, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, Julie Smith. Anne is her middle name. Well, I was Julie Smith until I graduated from college. And when I got my first job, you can't have the same name as any other actor in the union. And Anne is my middle name and was my mother's first name. And Moore is my father's middle name. And I wanted to make sure that I used both of their names professionally so I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. She was born at uh, Fort Bragg Army Installation in North Carolina. And she has two other siblings. She is the eldest her father, Peter Moore Smith, was a paratrooper in the United States Army during the Vietnam War. Um, and her mother, who's Scottish, mm-hmm. uh, was a psychologist and a social worker from Greenock, Scotland. Um, she emigrated into the United States in 1951 with her family. Um, her, uh, she was kind of an army brat, right? Yeah, she was an army brat. She moved around a lot. She talks a lot about that, how that really sort of shaped um the way that she thought about people and the way that she thought about fitting in. I think it's pretty common that actors come from an itinerant background, you know, preacher's kids and IBM kids and military kids. And um, for some reason, I think it, it teaches you that behavior is mutable, that behavior is not character. And once you figure that out, you're like, well, that means that I can behave any way I want. That people are choosing to behave certain ways, that speech is a choice and movement is a choice and you know, accents are all choices. So it's an interesting thing to understand, I think, at a very young age. As I mentioned, moved around Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Panama, uh-huh. Nebraska, Alaska, New York, and Virginia. She she visited both the Thunderfucks. I cannot believe that. Both the Thunderfucks. <laughs> wow. Our fans, Julianne Moore. <laughs> when she was 16, her family moved from Falls Church, Virginia, to uh, Frankfurt, Germany, where she attended the Frankfurt yeah. American High School. Um, uh, she, she has said she was clever and studious and a, quote, good girl Uh and she had planned to become a doctor and never even thought about theater or performing uh but she loved to read she said that they like they couldn't get her out of the library i was a big reader you know and that's what i did from a really early age i was that kid who won the library contest every summer you know how many books can you read the librarian would say to me you know you can't take out 12 books at a time. <laughs> and I was like, why not? Why not? I'll read them. I, I probably, you know, and so I would do, I just read and read and read and read. And so it was that sense of narrative. Oh, I thought I'd be a librarian. I need Julianne Moore in a movie as a librarian. Stat. I mean, she's played an English teacher in The, the English, English Teacher. teacher. The English Teacher. <laughs> oh. Trash. <laughs> During that time while she was there, she did get encouragement to do plays. And she appeared in Tartuffe and Medea um, goes to jail. And Medea goes to jail. Medea's yeah. funeral. Uh, no, this is classical Medea, uh, the one where you know she. I would ki- kill to see her play Medea right now. <laughs> <laughs> she, I mean, she says in like interviews where she's like, "Yeah, in high school we were doing all these really aggressive, intense plays," and I was like, "You know what? Go off." And yeah, I was. I was like, yeah. "We did Oklahoma. Right. I played a Persian. <laughs> you did not play that role. Oh. I played that role in high school. Did you school. really? Oh my god. Yes, I." Did. We're learning so much about each other and Julianne Moore. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I just saw Oklahoma for the first time last year. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure both of our versions were not racist at all and <laughs> <Nope>. regrettable. <laughs> yes, middle America. Mm. Uh, so she went to college at Boston University and she graduated with a BFA in theater in 1983. Um, she moved to New York City after gra- uh, graduating and that's when she got became part of the Actors' Equity and they were like change your name um and then yeah. her, her first big role was a soap opera called edge of the night uh which i found mm. clips of and it's it's very like ooh saucy but but her big breakout role came as then she was cast in as the world turns yes. as i ident- she had an evil twin she had yes. an evil twin but and an evil half sister twin no they had the same father how but different mothers who were sisters uh. <laughs> now that you see how alike we are, I'm sure you understand why. Why have you been threatening me? I haven't. I don't believe you. You have no reason to be frightened of me. One of them is like mousy and wears glasses, uh-huh. and the other one is like Julianne Moore. It's like <laughs> big yeah. hair and red lips and like. I love that. Yeah, and uh, it's amber waves. <laughs> it's amber waves. <laughs> Fully amber waves. I've never had my gateway drug to soap operas yet, and oh, I'm like, really? I I fully should have watched these as the world turns episodes that she's been in because like I feel like that's my big gap in her like filmography that I don't haven't seen. Like I've even seen Tales from the Dark Side, y'all. Oh wow. really? Just to watch it for her. Um, Commitment. And I mean, I saw but, years like, ago. I just know if creep. I watch <laughs> even just her in that, like I'm. Everything else is gone. I only watch soaps from there on out. Right, like right. I just know that <laughs> that will be your like darkness. See, I feel bad yeah. because it, it's a blind spot for me, but not in the fact that soaps are a blind spot for me because I grew up on soaps. But my mom was like tried and true ABC, like one life to mm. live. All my children, Passions? General Hospital. Passions was NBC. Oh, see, okay. I know this. Okay, that's insane. And this is the gayest conversation we've had <laughs> this, on this yeah. show. Wow. Yeah. I've I've actually somehow moved further mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the spectrum. The dialogue is so rough, it's so basic. All you're doing is is establishing story. I used to do what they called emotion. I called it anyway, emotional applique, where if I had to say something that was really just plot oriented, I try to like cry on top of it or laugh on top of it or anything. You had to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning and rehearse. You were on camera. I would have sometimes 30 pages of dialogue a day for three it was like, you know, for three years. So it was like a boom, 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 boom. And then you finish maybe 7, 30, 8, 9 if you go late. So, so she three, ever won like years? a daytime Emmy? She did actually. Oh my god! I was just getting there. She performed on the show until 88 when she won a daytime Emmy award for Outstanding Ingenue in a Ooh. drama series. But from there she sort of started doing, she did a bunch of TV movies movies um and she did a bunch of theater uh she played ophelia in hamlet um and my favorite tv movie that she did and i know this sounds weird but she made an hbo tv movie called cast a deadly spell in 1991 cast a deadly oh yeah it's a it's a film that that's like it's a universe where everyone uses magic except for one private detective named (laughs) harry lovecraft oh and she's one of the she's how do I best describe it? She's sort of the object of desire in the film. Yeah. This is fanfic, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. I came to the club the other night with a package for Harry. A book. Old leather with gold clasps and things. Whatever it was, it was the wrong one. What do you mean it's the wrong one? Harry sent Tugwell after this guy, Mickey, to kill him. 
How do you figure that? You don't send Tugwell to fetch the evening paper. In 1990, she began working with state director Andre Gregory on the workshop of Uncle Vanya. Um, and mm-hmm. she's described this as one of the most fundamentally important acting experiences she ever had. Uh, the group got together. They spent four years exploring the text wow. and, and giving out these like sort of intimate performances um, to friends and family. Uh, essentially, you sort of had to be invited into their circle to see these performances. It's an adaptation by David Mamet and eventually led to the Louis Mal film adaptation, uh, which is like some amazing acting from everybody involved. It's like such a weird, they were like, but what if we film one of these guys? Yeah. And it's that literally, at first I was like, what the fuck is going on here? (laughs) But then I was like, oh, this is high cinema. Yeah, (laughs) It's way more cinematic than it sounds. Yes. Because it's so intimate. Um, God, and Brooke Smith is so good. Yes, I literally was like, yes, lesbian bitch from Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Sophie, ever since our wedding day, you haven't stopped accusing me. I accused you? You did. I saw it. In your eyes. We'll have no more of that. You mustn't look like that on people. It doesn't suit you. And we must trust. How can we live if we do not? At the ending, when they, the show is over, and then they just all kind of come back and they're hanging out, I was like... uh, (laughs) I was like, you fucking talented bitches. How dare you? Um, Mm -hmm. And and like, so that that happens in the early part of the 90s. But all throughout the early part of the 90s, she's playing sort of character actor roles. Uh, She gets a part as the aforementioned Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Um, She later described it as terrible. I would disagree, Miss Moore. I enjoy that movie a lot. Um, She's in the thriller The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. She gets the titular line. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is the hand that rules the world. And she appears in Body of Evidence in 1993, famous uh, Madonna stinker. Uh Um, uh, She gets to slap her, though. So, hey. Julianne's peak. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, slapping Madonna. Slapping Madonna, exactly. Um, Gaga wishes. <laughs> um, her big sort of break comes when she's cast in the ensemble drama uh, Shortcuts from 1993. By, so good. Yeah, Robert Altman saw her in a production of Uncle Vanya. Clearly uh, friends with people. Yeah. yeah. And um, he was invited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, and he cast her as Marion Wyman in the film. And it's so funny because she talks about the first time she ever saw cinema as art was seeing three women while she was in college at a repertory theater. And she said, it's Mm -hmm. the first time she's ever consciously been like, who directed that? Like who, like whose vision was that? And so it's kind of interesting because I actually have this theory that I'll talk about later about her relationship with Altman and other auteurs. But I think it's interesting that they, like there's a, a linkage there that really yeah, yeah. Uh, pulls her into that. Um, uh, Variety magazine described her performance as, quote, arresting and noted that her monologue delivered naked from the waist down would, yeah. quote, no doubt be the most discussed scene of the film. Okay, Ralph. Ralph, you want to know what happened? He kissed me and I kissed him back. And then we did it. We did it right there in the car. He fucked me right there in the car. I was drunk. It didn't mean anything to me. I wish it hadn't happened, but it did. Is that all? Is that all you want to know? Is that all? I could not believe it. So I watched the movie and I was like, she's really going to say the whole lines with her puss just out. <laughs> she, she is and she not did, afraid. And she did. I was like, great. Love that for her. <laughs> 
Um, 94 comes Vanya on 42nd Street, which we mentioned before. And then 95 comes Safe. Yeah. Which is her first collaboration with Todd Haynes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is quaking. <laughs> um, the, uh, the film was described by David Thompson later as one of the most arresting original and accomplished films of the 90s. Uh, the performance earned more an Independent Spirit Award nomination for Best Actress. Um, and Moore has sort of described that period of time as being obviously like the 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 like launch point for her. She said uh, these three films, they all came out at once and I suddenly had this profile. It was amazing. Imagine back then, just like, these are the three movies you've seen her or know her from. And you're like, oh, she's that weird bitch who does, like, <laughs> really artsy shit and, like, takes her pants off in movies. Like, oh. But but you're right. And I think that's, the, you know, it, what happens next is immediate. You know, she does nine months per yep. with, with Hugh Grant and Chris Columbus. And it's directed. all of a sudden rom-coms. Yeah, it's rom-coms. She does yeah. Assassins with Antonio Banderas, the cutest little young Antonio. I love it. Young Antonio. Oh my God. So I wish much. you guys could see Gavin right now. I just, Gavin I, is swooning. I am. It just, is it warm in here? Um, she does surviving Picasso, which is a merchant ivory film. So kind, kind of, um, indie, but you also have to understand like that period of time for merchant ivory was the, was the big, when everybody was really focused on merchant ivory, um, surviving Picasso's trash though. Um, she's, she's good in it. And then, uh, 97, Lost World, yeah. Jurassic Park, sequel to 1993's Jurassic Park. It ends up being one of the 10 highest grossing films ever at that point. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you're right. It is, a, it, it's a sudden. Yeah. Like, like in 92 to 90, like four, she's like an indie darling. And then like 95 to 98, right. all of a sudden it's like, she's a rom-com go-to. She is right. like the money-making like wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um which is insane. Like literally within 10 years, her career has hit like every quadrant of Hollywood. Yeah. Usually it's like the stretch of five years. She's doing four movies a year yeah. too. So it's like, it is very interesting. Like if you break it down by single year, what those roles were looking like. So you're right. Um, 98 or 97 is her, her first big Paul Thomas Anderson film. Ugh, she yes. plays Amber Waves in Boogie Nights, a porn actress who just wants custody of her daughter. Is yeah. it a daughter or a son? Son, sorry. Yeah, it's been it's, a bit for me. It's so. a, yeah. I really care about you, honey. You're my little baby. Thank you, Amber. You're the best thing in the world that's happened to me since my son went off, and I just... I love you, honey. I love you, too. Fucking 1980, you know? I watched it for the first time last week. That's shocking. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I remember, like, I knew of the movie uh, for a long time, uh, like, uh, when I was in high school and college and stuff. But I, for a lot, I, uh, to myself, I often just thought, like, oh, that's not for, like, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But then, I, but then I sat down and, like, I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is a three-hour movie and... You get to see a lot of naked people, and it's specifically for me. (laughs) (laughs) She gets uh, a Best Supporting Actress nomination at the Oscars for that. Uh, She's nominated at the Golden Globes, Screen Actors Guild Awards. She's named on a bunch of critics' uh, groups winner. So, obviously, like, things are going pretty great for Big Lebowski in 1998. I think a lot of the, a lot of mainstream audiences know her for that because that is somehow, like, both an indie film and a big yeah. studio The film. bros love that movie, yeah. so. Exactly. You know, yeah. Um, and also in 1998, she's in the remake of Psycho. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, after that, she <laughs> does, in, 
there's a lot of people that defend that movie and i distinctly remember like i think she enters that movie like headphones first yeah. <laughs> and i was like oh she came to the set with a take <laughs> um so she's like indie yeah yeah you know, it, version of that character it's it's interesting i need to revisit that movie because there's a whole like tread of thought about it about that's entirely done a 180 on the way that movie was received and like set ablaze by people so i'm really curious to the repas of that 1999 comes along and boy does it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and she doesn't stop working yeah. for i mean there are five films in 1999 uh she returns to work with robert altman in cookie's fortune she does oliver parker's an ideal husband um she does the end of the affair which ends up being a huge critical hit for her even though it's like now not regarded i, th I found this kind of interesting doing research i was like oh this is not as well regarded as it was at the time so mm -hmm. it's an interesting sort of look back um and then two more films uh she does golden globe nominated performance in a map to the world with sigourney weaver yeah uh, a map of the world sigourney's sorry. great she really movie. is but that movie is who i don't know how i feel about that movie and then of course the big hit of, of 99 for her is Magnolia. Mm -hmm. um, she's one of a cast of many. She's characters. like a wife of a dying man, man who she married for his money, but right. then falls in love with him and she's guilty about right. it. Right. She feels guilty about it. Her most famous scene comes at the pharmacy. Yeah. That is just insane. And I love it in the best. I mean, in the best way possible. She's amazing in it. What exactly is wrong? You need all this stuff. Motherfucker. What? Motherfucker. What are you fucking about? asshole. Who the fucking... Who the oh, look, fuck lady, do you think not, you are? I come in here. You don't know me. You don't know look, who I am, what my life is. And you have the balls, the indecency to ask me a question about my life. Fuck you two! Don't you call me lady! I come in here. I give these things to you. You check. You make your phone calls. Look suspicious. Ask questions. I'm sick. I have sickness all around me. And you fucking ask me my life. What's wrong? I'm using death in your bed, in your house. Where's your fucking decency? And then I'm asking fucking questions. What's wrong? Suck my dick. That's what's wrong in you. You fucking call me lady. Shame on you. The way that that movie kind of hinges on her explosion yes. in that scene, because it's like, it's a very long movie. It's very almost three long hours movie. long, but I feel like that comes at like maybe the hour mark. And there's been a lot of tension that's been building through like these interwoven narratives. And like, you know, that like all of these people are probably going to have some type of collapse. And then she has this, like, she's the one that gets to like expel the energy. And it's just like, it's almost like this Greek theater insanity of like, it's not about like the words she's saying, but yeah. like the temperature of it, right. like just the extremity. And like, I remember, I vividly remember the first time I saw Magnolia and that scene in particular that it was just like, this woman can do anything because this is, she's like given this tall, absurd order, particularly with that scene. And she makes like that whole crazy movie work right? with what it's doing because it's just absurd. It's outlandish. Like people don't. The movie is fully bonkers. The, yeah. I, 
but it's real. Yeah. Like she makes it real. Oh, one hundred percent. I've seen that scene happen at pharmacies in New York City. <laughs> that is yeah. that scene is so real. Yeah, yeah. In, in, a, in a like a very dark way. Um, but also like speaking just as an editor too. There's a lot of times you often hear about performances being made in an edit room or or performance being enhanced in an edit room, and that was one of the first times like cognitively i remember seeing uh edits driven by performance mm. like there's mm-hmm. no way i don't know if there's any way to edit that scene in a different way because she drives it and you just sort of have to as as the person sitting in the seat afterwards tr- like like follow her lead and that's crazy yeah that never happens she's really good i think i mean because in a lot of these movies she plays like woman who like in distress or like you know she's has some sort of weight on her and she's so good at like really um like just like juicing out all of the cracks you know yeah and in this scene specifically she's like blowing up but then like you can see her like energy cracking but like in, in the best part of like possible way um and she does it oh, i mean that's her go-to that's her better butter yeah. like and just how the way she delivers the line and you call me lady yeah <laughs> it's this real like high wire where like i can't think of a whole lot of other performers or even performances that it's like it takes you to the like absolute very brink of losing you yeah. with how highly pitched it is, but she never does. Like I, I just, I don't know who can do that. I wonder though. I think because she does this a lot, but in other and worse movies where it doesn't feel as like earned or genuine. And I almost wonder like she when she works with like really skilled directors or the really good material, it like kind of it all comes together because other times when she does this thing, I'm always like, meh, you know, you know, it, what's interesting. I guess now would be a good time for me, me to bust it out. So they, I, I've been noticing <clears throat> there's three major auteurs she's worked with in her life. And we've talked about all three at this point, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, uh, Todd Haynes and Robert Altman. And I think what's actually really interesting too, and I don't know if we've ever really discussed this with any of the actors is what those like quote unquote auteurs see in yeah. a person. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is um, Robert Altman sort of cast her. I feel like Robert Altman saw her as sort of like the second coming of Shelley Duvall. Mm. He casts her in these sort of meek, um, a little spacey, a little undervalued women um, that have these sort of like breakthrough moments. Todd Haynes, I feel like sees her a little more, <clears throat> Very strong, but a little repressed. I mean, look at especially something like Safe, yeah, where she plays this very repressed woman. But you even get that in Far From Heaven and and a little bit in Wonderstruck as well. And then Paul Thomas Anderson sees her as like this buried volcano. Yeah. Who's just yeah. like just a font of emotions, just like right at the surface, just yeah. ready to burst at any second. And it's interesting that each one of these people could look at her and see these very different things. But they are all sort of essential to what makes a good Julianne Moore performance yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are three very distinct sensibilities. And granted, Paul Thomas Anderson's has changed right. since those movies that she's worked with. And, and he's also a very, very big Altman fan. So like his films yes. kind of feel like the, uh, like the natural extension of that. But, but at the same time, like it's, they're all very different temperatures, right. I guess. And like she fits so naturally into them. And I don't think you see a lot of performers who can like go from different auteur sensibilities to the next. 
so as easily as she does. I love the fact that yeah. she then, uh, from 1999, five movies come out, takes a break in 2000. She only appears in The Ladies' Man. <laughs> she plays a horny clown in The Ladies' Man. <laughs> yes, does. I have seen The Ladies' Man just for her. Oh. Let's do it like we used to. Real nasty. <laughs> Listen, maybe it's not a good idea. We don't have a time to do this. We'll do it real quick. Come on, baby. You know what Bloopy likes. <laughs> so in 2001, yeah, she, she gets cast as Clary Starling in Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. She's actually a suggestion from Anthony Hopkins because he liked working with her a lot in um, Surviving Picasso, which, once again... Trash. Trash. But, uh, but um, you know, it's cool that he was like, I like her, you know, and uh, and she gets cast over Angelina Jolie and Kate Blanchett and Jillian Anderson and Helen Hunt. Can you imagine? Wow. Helen Hunt. I want, I want to see the Hannibal with Helen Hunt. Um, oh, man. Which that doesn't that's not even shade in Helen Hunt, but it's just like, what? Who? Why? <laughs> Um, it's just the way Clary Starling is portrayed in Hannibal and the way that she's scripted is so nothing that it's like you can just imagine all of these actresses being able to give as much as right. Julianne Moore does. Like she's at, tasked with essentially nothing. Um, I didn't mention this, but in two, so uh, in 2001, uh, there's three other releases as well um there's evolution uh fine uh world traveler which she did with her husband she met her husband um in uh 1996 doing the myth of fingerprints uh bart freudlich um he does this other film called world traveler in 2001 she's in it and then she also stars in what i hope is going to be uh, you've mentioned it quite a bit on your show, but I hope it's going to be a future This Had Oscar Buzz, The Shipping News. Oh, it, it's, you can take that to the bank. We will eventually be talking <laughs> uh, about The Shipping News. I finally watched it, and I was, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, let me tell you, gang, I was super hyped for The Shipping News <laughs> because, of course, Julianne Moore was in it. I was super into it, but I loved that book um at the time at i've least. genuinely now, never I probably heard, couldn't tell i've genuinely never heard a bad thing about the book like i i know it's, people who love that book so it's just probably one of those things that doesn't really translate because like even uh julianne moore's character who we should say is named wavy prouse oh wavy <laughs> the author decided that should be someone's name i that's um I, I as soon as when i was watching it as soon as i heard that the first thing i i heard just heard your and joe's voice in my head going because it's a book <laughs> yeah 2002 as she makes uh her next film with todd haynes far from heaven um he he wrote wrote this role for her uh so i mean how could she turn it down mm -hmm. possibly it's a beautiful throwback to douglas cirque films but dealing with more um modern more real more interesting um uh, traumas uh she plays a 50s housewife who finds out her husband has been gay and she's suddenly found herself attracted to their black gardener Dennis Quaid been gay yeah Dennis Quaid. funny thing about that role do you know who it was written for no James Gandolfini. Huh. Uh, he, he couldn't get out of his Sopranos I would have like, loved shooting. that more. God, he would have been so good. James Gandolfini's amazing. Yeah, yeah I 100% agree. I, I really wish I could see that version of the movie. So they cast Dennis Quaid, and I must admit, Dennis Quaid is doing his best Don Murray in Advise and Consent. Like, he's <laughs> just playing that role and, and doing it great. Um, 
but yeah, g- gorgeous film. I mean, she won she won the Best Actress Award from 19 different organizations, including the Venice Film Festival and the National Board of Review. Huh? So I remember the talk at the time being like, this is one of the most awarded performances ever. Wow. And like that was like part of her momentum. Yeah. But of course, it's also the year of the hours. And like Nicole Kidman had her own narrative there. Yeah. Um yeah, it is it's genuinely unfortunate that both Far From Heaven and The Hours come out the same year and that's their ne- her very next film to come out is The Hours. Um it's a triptych. Um I have a, I genuinely have a feeling no one that listens to the show hasn't seen The Hours. Right. It's um, you're fine. Um it's but she's really great in it and but it's unfortunate because she also plays a 50s housewife in that movie and so I feel like those roles will forever be sort of pitted against each other. I think they're very like performance wise, so very different. different. So different. Yes, absolutely. Um, but but I just think that people get set in their ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like the hours, what she's doing is so much about what she does get to express, and Far From Heaven is about what she doesn't get right. to express. Because um, like the hours is kind of just like naked on the table of like this is what this movie is whereas what a lot of far from heaven does is very metatextual so it's like you do kind of get the full spectrum of julianne moore in these two performances in that like one's the more emotive like natural performance and then the other one like is almost to the extent of being like a genre performance if you want to like say like a 50s melodrama is a genre um but it's also a performance that's so smart in like commenting on that genre. Um, so it's like a lot of what far from heaven does. That's so brilliant is underneath the surface and not like emotional, but uh, the hours doesn't go unnoticed either. You know, it's, it's uh, nominated for nine Academy awards, including best picture. Uh, she received the BAFTA and the SAG award and got SAG award nominations for best sporting actress. Um, she was jointly awarded the Silver Bear for Best Actress with Kidman and Streep at the Berlin Film Festival. So, like, I don't know. But then it's... Nicole wins her Oscar for Yeah, it, right? exactly. <laughs> you just she... put a fake nose yeah. on it. No, <laughs> In Oscar terms, like, those two, unfortunately, the way things played out kind of canceled each other out. Right. True, yeah, I guess. I mean, Or at least canceled out each other's momentum. Yeah, and they were like, we'll just give Nicole her Oscar. It's fine. <laughs> um, probably the smallest film she does at this point is... Um, the prize winner of defiance ohio which is a very small film that i love um yeah it's very earnest but like for what it is it's a very good movie and it's a really good performance from her as well absolutely i feel like not enough people know what that movie is i remember i bought it used from a video store and like watched it and was like oh my god like this is the sweetest little thing (laughs) love that yeah I, i love finding stuff like that um you can definitely count on that for a this head Oscar buzz episode eventually oh, as good. well. Good. Because I'm like, I want to watch this movie again. <laughs> um, she does Freedom Land. And then 2006, she does Children of Men uh, for Alfonso Cuaron. Um, it's basically one of the best reviewed films of her career. She gets killed 30 minutes into a masterpiece. Right, right. She does. So it's not really her movie. Yeah, that's very true. That's uh um in 2006 she returns to the stage she does uh david Hare's play the vertical hour with bill nye that's uh, directed by sam mendes uh is that what you ended up seeing her on broadway in yes i did awesome um that's that's a really interesting play that i don't think works 
as well in a large stage on like a large platform. It's very intimate. It kind of, I've also seen it um, locally in like a very small like house in the round and it played so much better than on a big Broadway stage. Interesting. Um, And I think that's partly the reason why the play itself didn't get great reviews and neither did she because it's just, it would almost make a better film than a stage play because it's just so quiet and nuanced and it's like it's hard to like expand it in the way that you need to like make a broadway play go you know register 2007 there's it's a lot of supporting roles outside of blindness in which she Mm -hmm. plays the lead and um chloe in which she plays the lead but surrounded by that you have as i mentioned private lives of pippa lee you have uh, a single man which i love her performance in yeah. but what, like a true supporting role yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, single man's gorgeous oh my god at that point it was just nice to see her have some fun yeah while still doing what she does so well yeah because i feel like i saw an interview around that time where she was like we're trying to get some funding for savage grace and I was like, oh, God, she really wanted to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was attached to that movie for a long time. And, it, um, and it's really upsetting because that director's only other film is a movie called Swoon, which I love. Mm. So, like, uh-huh. sorry, girl. A Single Man was selected as one of the top 10 films of 2009 by the American by AFI. And um, she received her fifth Golden Globe nomination for you know yeah. that performance so it's, it's such a good performance. she had to have gotten very close to an oscar nomination yeah, yeah. She, i mean she's so good and 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 it's really one of those like true supporting act like she's there for like a couple scenes and she fucking kills it yeah watching them dance her and colin for dance is just a delight they're so sexy together yeah like and also what a beautiful like um just a representation or you know seeing a gay man and his good girlfriend just like being sad together i yeah. was like i feel seen <laughs> even even when she's like accuses him of not experiencing yeah. love whatever charlie there's nothing wrong with your life you just like feeling sorry for yourself it's one of your great pleasures and it's and it's not one of yours you're you're as pathetic as i am feeling sorry for myself is definitely not one of my well, great pleasures well, it's not one of mine either i don't like feeling sorry for myself one bit i tried to hold on to richard for so long even it was obvious to everyone but me that it was over and now, and now clay has grown up i mean what what am i doing here joe tell me what you have plenty of friends you'll be fine yes, yes i have friends but none of them need me and yes i have you and if you were such a goddamn puff we could have all been happy Though I will admit, watching her in that movie, it's like, all oh, you assholes kept putting her in the 1950s when you could have put her in the 60s. Put her in the 60s. <laughs> See how beautiful she is. <laughs> Thank you, Tom Ford. Thank you, Tom Ford. So 2013, she she starts recurring. I think she does like six or seven episodes of 30 Rock. Yeah, that accent. Oof. <laughs> God, Liz, you're so negative. Oh, well, now you just sound like Jack. Every time you say what you don't want, you sound like a cranky cow. And you're not that. You're smart and you're fun. So stop talking about what you don't want and stop figuring out what you do want and then go get it. I mean, there's also the kids are all right, which yes, I really thought at the time could really change the way that people looked at Julianne Moore because she's so funny in that movie. Yeah. And like, maybe this is the point for me to go into it because like, a, a grain of salt, I am a super fan, but I think like one of, the things that she is so underappreciated for that she actually does really well without like 
you know, shaking you by the shoulders like, I am great at this, <laughs> like, or like calling too much attention to herself. She's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she gets to be as natural as she is in drama when she gets to be funny. And I think the kids are all right. Like, that's my favorite performance in the movie. But the way the narrative was built around that, a lot of the attention was showered on Annette Benning. Yeah. Because um, there can only be one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, God. And the way that, like, movies with multiple female leads get treated, but, like, Julianne Moore, I think, is really incredible in that movie. To be in bed with Annette Benning and Julianne Moore, what a treat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she gets to she gets to kiss both Annette Benning and Mark Ruffalo, yeah. which, like... Just the warms, the, warms the cockles of my bisexual heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Amazing. Also, uh, she has a son named Laser. Yeah, yes. Uh, uh, but you're right. You're right. She's so good in comedies. And that film earns her her sixth Golden Globe nomination and her second BAFTA nomination. So, like, clearly she's making the right choices. Uh, and then in 2012, she, she goes back to TV and she does HBO's Game Change. Oh, my God. What an iconic movie. I have to say this. I actually don't really like her performance. I fucking love it. And you're wrong. So that's (laughs) all we will say um, about that. I like her performance. I don't know if I like how it's written. Yeah. I mean, like, she does take it to the next level. And I think it was a really inspired casting choice. Yeah. Um, I I, I wouldn't. When they cast her, I was like, that feels weird. But then when I watched the movie, I was like, yeah. that is Sarah Palin. I mean, Holy shit. I mean, it's clear. It's clearly a much more nuanced performance than, like, say, Tina Fey doing her on SNL. And, like, I think that's... Yeah. I think people genuinely wanted Tina Fey in that role. And I was like, I love no, Tina, but girl, no, no, no. like, get it together. I mean, I think... It, yeah, I mean, this this movie is not... I mean, she, sure, she plays Sarah Palin, but I think this movie is more about, like, the script. Because the way they write her and, like, she's... And the crazy thing she asked for and, like, you know, wanting to right. give a... A, a speech and like all that and, and so she's merely the vehicle for this obviously biased you know telling of like what happened um but god i just thought like to, to give like any shades to sarah palin holy shit yeah i do think there's a certain level where it's like maybe because julianne moore is obviously very like gracious towards her characters and the way that she like kind of minds their like inadequacies but there's a certain level to how she plays sarah palin's incompetence that's maybe a little too gracious like you kind of wish that she'd had a little just even a little bit more like bite Mm. to what she was doing um i think it's a really good performance but it's it needs a little bit more, I don't want to say accusation, but mm-hmm. something along those lines. Your oldest son is probably heading off to Iraq next week. Who do you see as the primary enemy at this point? Radical Islamic extremists. Can you be more specific? The terrorists who are hell-bent on destroying our nation. Governor, do you know why we're in Iraq? Because Saddam Hussein attacked us on 9-11. No. No, uh, Al-Qaeda attacked us on 9-11. Not Saddam Hussein. No, it was Al-Qaeda. And that, that's why we're in Afghanistan. Do you know the, the primary differences between the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq? After that, she does what Maisie knew, uh, which mm-hmm. I saw for the first time, was like, I'm going to hate this movie. I loved, loved it. it. Yeah. And she's she's a rock star in it. And she's singing yeah. the Kills songs in it. And 
Um, anyways, uh, but, you know, after that, she does Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Don John, which is a movie I genuinely hate with the bottom of my soul. I love that movie so much. Do you really? It's insane how much I love that really? movie. Really? I hate it. I want all <laughs> movies to have Julia Moore. be in the middle ground and think that it is fine. <laughs> I just want Both all... of the actresses are great yes, in it, though. Scarlett Johansson is wonderful every... in it movie to be Julianne Moore teaching Joseph Gordon-Levitt how to have, like, great sex. That's what I'm gonna say! Okay? <laughs> and then she does David Cronenberg's Maps for the Stars, in which she's just the, the most Julianne Moore. Yeah, the most Julianne Moore. Just, like, I, I talked a little bit about, like, the, like, meta-textual things that I think she's good at. This is, like, hyper-meta-textual, yeah. like, the movie doesn't fully work, and the movie is, like, should be on its knees thanking Julianne <laughs> yeah. Moore for her performance because it's like the least favorite movie. <laughs> she won the Cannes Best Actress Award, if I she did. correctly, and for this movie. And you know what's interesting about that is that makes her the second actress in history next to Julia Binoche to win the big three, which means she won Berlin, yeah. Cannes, and Venice. Wow. Yeah, she's bonkers in that sh- movie. And so funny. It's, it's She's essentially playing Lindsay Lohan at 50. Yeah, 10,000%. <laughs> um, and then that same year, 2014, she does still Alice. Um, and basically everybody's like, this is the best thing she's ever done. She wins the Oscar, uh, Golden Globe, SAG, and BAFTA for Best Actress. I mean, it just, yeah. it's a clean sweep. That, that was a great year for Best Actress. I remember being like, I, mean, I remember like, Loving Still Alice and, you know, crying my face off. But I also remember being like, wouldn't it be so fun if that Gone Girl bitch just wins? <laughs> it's interesting because, like, there haven't been a whole lot of, like, steamroll performances that have really had that much goodwill associated right. to it of, like, this person's going to win everything. Um, and it happened very quickly for Still Alice. Like, it didn't even have distribution when it played at toronto that year which is like september and then they still like the second that movie was seen it got distribution and they immediately rushed it out for like a qualifying release and like she was never not winning that oscar right partly because of the goodwill around her and like there's this kind of narrative around this movie that she like just won because it was her time and like i kind of brunt up against it so i'm glad you guys love the movie as well because like I think that movie deserved a lot more well, yeah. than just getting her an Oscar. I, I think the script's great. I think Kristen Stewart's great. Um, it's one of the few like movies where, I mean, we kind of saw it again this year with The Wife, where um, there's like literally all it was nominated for was Julianne Moore. It didn't get any other nominations, which is pretty rare, for I think, for especially for a winner. Yeah. You know, and it, that would have mm-hmm. happened if Glenn Close had won. But I immediately called my mom afterwards because uh, my grandmother has Alzheimer's. And I was like, Mom, oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> oh, it was a rough. I mean, the movie is gorgeous. Um, but anyway, I did want to mention back in 2013, uh, As the World Turns was going off the air and she came back. Oh, to reprise her role amazing which i love the fact that she would do that but classy it's it is it's such a classy move mm-hmm. um uh so that brings us up to 2018 and she has a new film out this weekend this yes. very weekend when this episode goes up you, you should be able to see yeah it. chris how is the marketing campaign going i know you're very busy <laughs> i i'm very busy i um you know <laughs> still waiting on my check yeah um, <laughs> you're the street team <laughs> social uh, but yes, she, the name of that movie is Gloria Bell, mm-hmm. and it is a remake of Gloria, the Chilean film by yeah. Sebastian Lilio. Yeah, same. He's he's also directing yes. this one. Yes, he yeah. is. Yes, yes. It is essentially um, 
I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is the same movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's a carbon copy. It's They did a little bit of trimming here and there, so it's a lot tighter of a movie. In a way, it's kind of like a glow-up mm. um, that I love the original Gloria, especially for Paulina Garcia's performance. But Sebastian Lelio has had a couple movies since that he has made on kind of a larger platform. So it's like you see a much more assured visual style going on in the movie. Um, Julianne Moore's performance is very different than Paulina Garcia's, but it's just like, is this a needless remake? As a lot of people have pointed out, you know, you could say that, but I would also watch a million more of this movie (laughs) um, with different actresses. Um, My friend Murtada El Fadal and I want to see Angela Bassett have the next one. Oh my God, yeah, with love. it's just such a like you know it's it feels a little trite and like often repeated that like we just don't see movies like this anymore but like truly uh, we don't get to see just the a story that is just the drama of an everyday life of a single woman in her 50s and it's like it's not a high concept it is just honest and uplifting and very fun and features a performance by an actress you love and you need to take all of your gay friends to see it (laughs) and take your mother to see it take your grandmother to see it it's it's a good ass time um we'll talk more about gloria bell in our in our fast forward but yeah. that you know i did real quick want to just talk a little bit about uh julianne Moore, how she sort of picks her roles and everything she she oftentimes plays what has been described as troubled women and i particularly love this quote that she says i never care that my characters are strong i never care that they're even affirmative i look for things that that I look for that thing that's human and recognizable and emotional. You know, we're not perfect. We're not heroic. We're not in control. We're our own worst enemy. Sometimes we cause our own tragedies. That's the stuff I think is really compelling. Um, I don't know. I, I like that. She, she sort of seeks out these very, it's kind of funny because you are right. She, she does have theatrical is not the right word because I do think she is definitely found a way to balance both. The, and I think Vanya's proof of that, the, like right. clearly the performance she would be giving in Vanya on stage is different than the one that she gives on film. So she's found a way to comp like do the compromise of stage acting to film acting. But I do think she is a, a showier yeah. performer. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I like that she, she's found a way to, to make that showiness reflect real human things. Cause there's a lot of bad showy performers out there. Yeah, for sure. It's nice to like kind of cap it with this performance because it feels like the biggest showcase she's had since maybe safe. Um, it's essentially all her, um, all of the supporting characters with the exception of maybe John Turturro only come in and out of the story briefly. So it's just kind of like this massive showcase that we feel like we haven't even really gotten from her with the exception of maybe still Alice for a very long time. Yeah. So it's like all of these things we've been saying that she does so well, they are all on full display in this movie. We mentioned her personal life before. She was married once before uh, to John Gould Rubin. Uh, They met in 1984 and married two years later. They separated in 93 um, and then they were divorced in 95. Um, She said, you know, she got married too early and she just didn't want to be there. Um, But she met Bart Freundlich, uh, the director of Myth of Fingerprints in 96 
Um, they have two children together, uh, Caleb Frundlich and Liv Frundlich. And by the way, if you've, have you seen pictures of Bart Frundlich? No. She did good. Oh. Yeah, he is a good looking guy. Um, <laughs> if you like follow her Instagram story, they just seem like the nicest people. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm very like, I was just like, good for you. Um, the, you know, she said they have a very solid family life and it's the most satisfying thing she's ever done. Um, he's very handsome. Yeah. Isn't he good looking? I would, I like the beard, not, the beard work is incredible. Yeah. Not to shade anybody else that we ever had, but like, sometimes I look at celebrities, husbands and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I see why they're the celebrity. And you're, <laughs> but I was like, I, when first time I saw him, I was like, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's politically very liberal she's a pro-choice activist um and she sits on the board of advocates for planned parenthood she's also a campaigner for gay rights and gun control and since 2008 she has been an artist ambassador for save the children and sidebar we don't normally talk about this um she's an atheist huh and she yes. she even said on inside the actor studio when asked what she might say to or what god might say to her upon reli- arriving to heaven she said well I guess I was wrong. You do exist. <laughs> um, she's the real fucking deal. She really man. is. Like she's like clearly very effusive and kind, but like also no bullshit. Very um, no bullshit. Very no bullshit. I, I do want to real quick. And I, this totally slipped my mind. Uh, she's a children's author as well, which oh, I love. Yeah. She's written the, mm-hmm. the freckle face strawberry books. Uh, she, the first one was published in 2007 I actually met her when the first one was published. She came okay, to my work. Relax. We have a picture together, but I'm about 30 pounds heavier and I had shaved my head for Halloween. So I look like a crazy person. Oh my God. But still, she fucking cuddled up to me like we were best friends. So you cuddled I ch- with Julianne Moore? Yeah, I cherish that picture. Oh it's so God. good. Uh, maybe I'll post it. I don't know. I'm self-conscious though. This is the most upset I've been when you're telling me about you've so- met celebrities. Yeah, Julianne Moore. It's my yeah, favorite. Oh. Um, All I can really offer is I did the full fanboy stage door when I saw her on Broadway. <laughs> I am not joking when I say I blacked out. I have no idea what I said to her. You ate so- I don't remember talking to her. Okay. I blacked out. You, I mean, but you know that you talked to her. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that counts. That was that was the time Chris woke up in a tub full of ice, yep. missing a kidney. Yeah. And Julianne was like, Julianne Moore's got an extra kidney somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, and you, it's your pleasure, your <laughs> yeah, honor. Exactly. And you were like, not even mad. <laughs> and that book has had so many sequels. Uh, there's and there's a musical, and she she didn't have a hand in the musical, but she did have to give the rights away. So she like her one stipulation was that it be um, aimed at kids. Amazing. You know, she wasn't really interested in it being for adults. And so yeah, but yeah, that's that's Julianne Moore. I mean, she we mentioned I sort of mentioned all of her award nominations as yeah. as we went along, but like she's good god, on. you know. Uh As the World Turns, Boogie Nights, an Ideal Husband, The End of the Affair, Magnolia, Far From Heaven, The Hours, The Single Man, The Kids Are All Right, Game Change, Map to the Stars and Still Alice are all things she's been nominated for. So incredible. Yeah. So I guess that brings us to our reviews. Yes. Uh, so I love her so much. I suggest we get our one star reviews out of the way. Let's do it. <laughs> We didn't mention this movie, and I'm so happy we didn't, because I feel like we're definitely going to have a lot to say. Um, my pick for a one-star review is 2015's Freeheld. <laughs> um, oh, which I still haven't seen, and I've heard such bad Oh, things. Chris. I mean, we had so much time, and I also didn't see it. You guys are 
better off. You're better <laughs> off. Um, this is an assault to homosexuality. Okay. Um, her bad. And things. it's and it sucks because um she's in this with um Ellen Page, you know, another gay icon, and I think she's a good actress, but she is very bad in this. Really, I don't know what's going on. I mean, it's almost like she was like, I'm playing a lesbian, and I I don't know if either like she didn't know what she was supposed to do it's uh so essentially this is based on a true story um it's uh the story of laurel hester um she was a uh like a detective in new jersey in ocean county and she you know is in the closet and laurel meets a little ellen page at a at a gay volleyball like meet <laughs> which is how very, we all meet yeah, this yeah is, yes the... correct um and she, they move in together, they're falling in love, you know, Laurel, um, is like being dragged out of the closet, kind of, um, uh, and she's much older than Ellen Page's character, uh, but and very soon in their relationship, she develops cancer, and, um, she's dying, and she just wants to make sure that her wife, or not wife, by the, I think they had, they were domestic partners. Happy domestic partnership day. Thank you. I got something for you. Yeah. Looks like the beach. Thanks. Got something for you, too. Yeah? Yeah. Um, it's a card from the police union. Got your name on it. It says we're family. So if you're stopped while you're driving, and let's face it, you do drive fast, just give this to the officer, you won't get a ticket. The freeholders, or whatever the fuck they're called, in Jersey, they were like, we're not going to give your pension to um, this person um, because they just weren't um, recognizing it, which is homophobia. Um, she's finally successful, and they they win the case, and, and she dies. Um, and this woman still lives in that house, paying, you know, with the, the pension money that she got from her um, from her wife. And this story deserves so much more. I just, I mean, the best part of this movie is at the end when they show actual pictures of these two women and you can like see like, man, like this is a time when uh, gay rights were like on the cusp of, you know, like right. finally breaking through. And thank God we got 5% further now. Thank God. We're, five, we're just here. a small 5%. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know why I, 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 this movie. And, and honestly, like I remember when this movie came out, everyone was like, oh my God, Julianne Moore and Ellen Page. Holy shit. They're going to come snatching trophies. Um, no, no, yeah. this movie is very, very bad. It is. I, re I remember when it came out and I remember it immediately sort of going away. Yeah, it, it like Tanking. immediately deflated. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, it's really unfortunate because it, it is a great story. Her and Ellen Page have no chemistry, first of all. Um, and you're supposed to just like really buy into the fact where it's like, oh, hey, I'm into you. And I, they never really solidify that relationship. And that's the whole movie, you know? Yeah. You can't just show me Ellen Page and Julianne Moore laying on a beach and be like, yep, that is what gay love is. Like, <laughs> no, I, I need more. I need more. Uh, Chris, I'm actually, I'm going to make you go next just because I'm very curious. Okay. okay. So I've talked a lot about like the extremes that she can go to mm -hmm. um, and like still sell you on something. My one star review is one that it doesn't work. And I think it's largely because of how she's directed and like 
the direction that she's pointed into and like what is asked of her and how she miscast she is and that is 2006's freedom land oh oh my um, chris oh my god i literally was going to choose that movie <laughs> literally it it oh man um this movie was originally like this could be a potential this had Oscar buzz movie, but like I fully don't want to fucking watch this movie again. <laughs> um, it was originally positioned like this could be Julianne Moore's Oscar movie, and it was going to open Barf. at like Christmas time, and then it got pushed to February, and we immediately were all like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> um, the this is just a really unfortunate movie that's really kind of graceless in looking at economic inequality, structural institutionalized racism, white privilege, and she plays a uh, formerly addicted mother who um, says that someone hijacked her car with her son in the back seat and it gets you know pivoted on essentially this housing project all of the um residents are poor black people so it's like the cops are like antagonizing this whole entire housing project and it turns out in the end that she and her boyfriend who she was seeing at this housing project she would drug her son with cold syrup in the night Mm -hmm. to like so he could sleep because no one would watch him and then she would go visit her boyfriend and they would have sex one night he dies and then they go and bury him and so it's like all these people get blamed for her neglect and she's opposite Samuel L. Jackson, so it's like you can see why she would want to be in this movie. Like, they could otherwise have really great chemistry, but she is put in this role that is a really kind of gross characterization on the page yeah. of this former addict woman who like lives on the fringes and the movie just has no taste level whatsoever. So I don't fully think that it's her fault at all. Um, But yeah, don't watch freedom. Is he dead? What? Yes. How? He drank a bottle of cough syrup. When was this? Two nights ago. The same night you came to the hospital. The night before that. See him drink the syrup? No, I wasn't there. Was anybody else? He was all alone. He he was all alone. I think, though, in this movie is one of when I was thinking of her being unhinged and like no control of like all her powers, because in this movie, she has a bunch of those scenes where she's like constantly breaking down. And it's like, yeah. She's hung out to dry yeah, and it, it's in like, this movie. It needs, you know, like, she, the character needs so much more shaping because literally every scene is just like a puddle, you know? And I'm like, yeah. girl, I, we get it. Like, <laughs> and, and literally the entire... And on top of everything else, this movie is very offensive. Super offensive. Um, it's just also one of those things where it's like, it thinks it's being so progressive, yeah. but it's actually being quite racist. Yeah. Um, or it's like it's trying to be all sidesism, or it's like things are much more complicated than they are, and it's like um, no, no, uh, no, it's much more complicated than what this movie is. It's it's gross. It's very gross. Um, Kevin, what's your pick? Uh, so I had two, but I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go with this one because we actually in a in a very rare moment of 
of our podcast. We have a one star review from the actor themselves um, in a early 2000s right. interview. Yes, correct. Uh, with the Guardian. I know what this is. <laughs> with the Guardian. Let's hold hands, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, they actually asked her. Uh, they said, if if she can't tell me her favorite film, what about her worst? And she responded with, I'm never going to say that, she says. But a second later, she does. Next is pretty bad. <laughs> Next is so bad. <laughs> and when the reporter asked her, what's that about? She said, it's about nothing. It's about two hours long. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Bitch. So I, I was going to pick Next until I found that. And I was just like, nope. She she covered it all. She covered it all. So my uh, wait, you're not picking the movie about the magician who saves the world? Yeah, yeah. Based off of one of my favorite science fiction authors' story. Oh my god, poor Philip K. Dick. Next is the one that broke me. Next was the one like I don't have to see everything. It's so bad, and she literally she is nothing. In she that is movie. very bad in the movie. So my least favorite, um, including performance, would be and because and I'll admit. I, I did not see either of those two films, and I felt like I watched a lot. So k- kudos to you both. Uh-huh. Um, 2001's Evolution. Yeah. Um, I hate this role, especially finding out afterwards that it was her idea that her character be clumsy. Because if that character isn't clumsy, what is that character? That's all she is. Yeah. There's literally nothing to the character. So, uh, 2001 is, uh, Evolutions is Ivan Reitman's science fiction remake of Ghostbusters. Yeah, let's basically. Just say. Like, he's the, it's bad. He's the same guy who directed Ghostbusters. A meteor crash, a meteor crashes. There's aliens everywhere that are growing. And David Duchovny, um, and Orlando Jones play scientists. And they're basically playing the sort of Ray and Bill Murray characters from Ghostbusters. Um, they meet up with Sean William Scott, who has no reason to be there. And then the army gets involved. Julianne Moore works for the army and they're trying to stop them as well as cover up this alien invasion. And then she, she eventually teams up with them. Um, she plays a scientist in it who literally her whole thing is that she's clumsy. She just trips all the time for no reason. And honestly, I cannot tell you what she does outside of that. But the other thing that makes me really annoyed is the way women are treated in that movie like women are are reduced to basically being talking body parts Hmm. there's a scene with sarah silverman in it where where she plays like david duchovny's ex-wife and she's just like a shrill bitch for Mm -hmm. no reason because she's a woman right and and julian like literally at the end of the movie julian moore and david duchovny sneak off to have sex whether rather than stick around to get rewards for stopping this alien evasion, I don't. I don't know. Like I, I feel like the I don't. True prize, Gavin. Hello. It just it shocked me that she would read the script and think, like even just think about taking this role. Right. Your partner could have died. What were you thinking? It's desperate. Been exiled out here in Arizona for five years, watching the world pass me by, and this amazing discovery literally falls into my lap. I look at it as my ticket out of here. But I don't suppose that you would understand that. Oh, no, how could I? I'm just a humorless ice maiden in desperate need of a good humping. You heard that, huh? Loud and clear. Don't think you know so much about me don't i'm sure i don't i guess if the only 
quote unquote good female role available is the is this one but i but i just i think a modern julianne moore would look at the script and instantly turn it down do you think this was around the time when she was trying to be like funny I don't know, because she'd are. I mean, I guess maybe she doesn't really get an opportunity to be funny in the movie the way she does in others. That's true, because she has to play such a stuck up like they're constantly commenting on how she she's like no fun. And she's like the the other thing that annoys me in movies is like men can be good at their job. But if a woman's good at her job, she is no fun. Right. She's like an awful yeah. monster to be career oriented and, and goal oriented. And I don't know. I just found every turn specifically for her character. Just a, like I was offended for her, yeah. and and she'd already done Lost World at this point, so it's not yeah. like yeah. I don't know. It's not like she had to do this. Um, are there any other particularly bad movies that we wanted to like do a quick call out to? Six Souls. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I watched chunks of it last night because I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna watch one of the bad ones before um <laughs> before we record. And I was like, oh man, I am only gonna watch like bits of this. And I got to that conclusion. Oh, maybe three minutes in. <laughs> um, I can't do genuinely it. Genuinely, no idea what she's doing there. All I wrote down was next, free health, freedom land. And then I wrote, am I an asshole for not liking Far From Heaven or The End of the Affair? Oh, I love Far From Heaven. So yeah, you are an asshole I for that. But The End of the Affair, I think you're okay. Okay. Great. Then let's get into our five-star reviews. I'm nervous. Are you? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, you better be. <laughs> I, I'm nervous because you guys are... You know what's exciting, though, about the five-star reviews is I feel like we could all legitimately say a different movie and still be leaving major things on the table oh, of, like, absolutely. not bringing them yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, speaking of a earlier, of I, I, I mentioned her being in a movie I genuinely hated but loved her performance in. Blindness. Huh. Bl- blindness I hated every yeah. fucking second of, but I thought she was amazing in it. Hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, but anyways, uh, who wants to go first then in our round robin of five-star reviews? Because um, Louis I'll, genuinely looks scared. I'm scared, but I'm just going to go. Um, I At first I thought, like, I usually land on like, oh yeah, like, you know, still Alice is great and I, I loved it. And for a long while I thought like, I'm fine, I'll just use, use, use that. And then I saw this movie and I was like, nope, this is it. Um, I thought... Her maps to the stars was fucking incredible. I could, yep. I could not believe that that movie. I mean, her specifically. Yeah. I mean, but even the movie itself. I was like, there is a movie about incest happening <laughs> with Julianne Moore, with Carrie Fisher casually in it. Um, that that movie just blew my mind. I mean, I am such a basic bitch, and so watching this and like kind of being fully engrossed. This was a movie where I was like put your phone down and just like go off the deep end with this movie because it's fucking bonkers. Um, just... It's certainly her gutsiest work. So I do not think that that is a bad call. Yeah. I, so it's a 2014, um, like dark satire thing, I guess, um, by David Cronenberg. And it's, you know, this, this mysterious Mia Wasikowska character arrives to Hollywood. Um, she says that, she, um, her friend who she met online, Carrie Fisher, <laughs> ever heard of her? Um, wants her to help write a book. And, um, her chauffeur is Robin Pattinson. And it's like the story kind of all comes together where, um, turns out this girl, Agatha, burned down her house, um, almost killing her younger brother, who is basically kind of like, 
the character on the other two, you know, like he's like a famous teen um, actor and his parents are psychopaths um, who surprise plot twist and spoiler alert, their brother and sister. And they don't really tell you why they're married. All they say is like, we didn't know. Um, and that's all fucked up. The dad is like the therapist to Julianne Moore, who plays Havana, I think's her name. Um, and she is kind of this like wilting actress who wants to really desperately get a part in this movie that is about her mom. Um, this movie is very like magical realism. She sees her dead mom all the fucking time. The teen kid, um, is seeing dead bitches also. Um, specifically about Julianne Moore, she is so funny. It is insane. I thought that Gary Marshall was going to be there, that it was a meet. I didn't know that I was going to have to read. And then they gave me the wrong drive on and I had to walk like a mile and I stank by the time I got there. And then the casting director, who I know doesn't even acknowledge me, she just walks right by without saying a word. And then, and then she tells me that she doesn't even know if Gary knows that I'm coming in. Now this is Gary Marshall, not Bertolucci. His movies don't make money anymore and I know Gary. And then she says they want to put me on tape. And I'm like, excuse me, but you need special makeup for that. Or you look green. And she says, well, you can either tape or not. Like, it's all some pointless exercise. And I just can't take it anymore, Jacob. I'm so tired and it's so pathetic. I, I, I in my wildest dreams, I have a conversation with Julianne Moore and ask her, like, what dumb bitches do you know in Hollywood? <laughs> and where did you pull for this character? Because it is my favorite performance in that movie. It's so. in insane yeah. and it's i mean when she finds out she doesn't get the role and she's like meditating and she just like howls at the moon i i was just like oh my god I, everything about that movie um you know truly shocking um but like in the best way like it didn't feel for me at least i didn't feel like um manipulated or um i don't know man like the nerve bitch we talked about nerve yeah uh, a couple episodes ago like nervy i one of my problems with with modern Cronenberg is I feel like somewhere in the early '90s someone told him like you're an artist, <laughs> and he like really took it to heart. Um, and uh, but I think Maps to the Stars is the closest we've gotten to like the the sort of Cronenberg that I love um, in recent years. So it's uh, yeah, I mean, there's like sex in the movie that feels disgusting. It's I mean, like it's a lot like it's a movie built to kind of have a really strong reaction to it. But I will say like, um, I definitely think that like the kind of crassness of it is never for me, at least uh, never as like precisely realized as the way Julianne Moore does it. But like her performance is exactly what like the highest hopes you would have from Julianne Moore yeah. working with David Cronenberg. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'll go next, so okay. so some of the pressure's off of you, but sorry, oh. sorry, Louis. My favorite performance is 2002's Far From Heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, okay, love that. <laughs> there, was there something specifically you, I mean, was it the movie Iconique? itself? Or I think I didn't like the movie just because, of, to me, now, and again, so I saw it, like, last week. Um, it, for Right now, for me, I'm just like, oh, it feels very quaint. You know, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, uh, the whole, um, I mean, and also it's gonna be unfair because I guess I'm like that liberal fucking snowflake. And I was just like, huh. I saw it in college and I initially didn't like it either. And I think part of it was that I wasn't ready for it. Um, I think there is, I, I don't think you should ever have to come to a movie with notes, <laughs> um, right. but 
I think it helps in this case to really understand the Douglas Sirk films, that Douglas Sirk was making these sort of um, very, like, very beautiful mainstream movies about topics that other people didn't necessarily want to make them about. Right. Like, he, like this movie is very heavily influenced by all that heaven allows, which is about a woman who falls in love, an older woman who falls in love with a much younger man. Um, and, uh, imitation of life in which is about like a, a young black woman who passes as white. And, uh, and so he's making these sort of social movies, but within right. the context of what is allowed at the time. I think, I think for me, it's always this hard when it's like, and that was only the one person who thought black people were okay. And like, you know, and she has to like deal with it or, you but, know, but I think that the, I think the, 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 the Todd Haynes-ness of it is the fact that that plot line doesn't resolve in a way that it's right. like, and then she rallies the town and right. everybody's okay mm-hmm. with gay people right. and black people. Right. Um, I, I'm, it's tough for a movie too. Like, I think we as viewers often approach movies like dealing with certain social contexts or like movies in dialogue with like our daily lives or our daily concerns, like globally as a country, as like our individual, whatever. And Far From Heaven is very much a movie that's, yes, in dialogue with those things socially, but it's more in dialogue with a whole swath of, like, cinema. Right. So it's like you kind of have to approach it that way. I also thought Um, that the music was a little heavy-handed. I don't know. Oh, I loved the music. Oh, yeah. For me, I was just like... (laughs) It, but 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 that was the but that's what it was supposed to it was the, this grand orchestral score to be right. reminiscent of the films of the 50s and sort of right um the I, I mentioned before earlier in the film julianne moore is married to dennis quaid um he's a closeted homosexual man um who's finally starting to come to terms with it, it. was cute that he ends up with that cute little boy i was like okay he has, <laughs> he has like a, a cute little like you know happy yeah after. they meet on vacation i know it's a love story okay. um but uh uh, you know, she's she's a married housewife in the 50s. Uh, they have a ch- two children. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they sort of have the, yeah. the perfect uh, 1950s, yeah. you know, two kids, 2.5 kids. Yeah. And, uh, and and she starts to feel sexual attraction for Dennis Haysbert, who is their, their new gardener, who is the son of their previous gardener. Um, and, and sort of like, that, you know, that starts getting picked up by people in the town and sort of ostracizes her as she's going through this yeah, private the gossip trauma. columnist who is like, oh, she's nice to black people? Yeah, it's <laughs> scandal. So what's your opinion on modern art? Uh, it's hard to put into words, really. I, I just know what I care for and, and what I don't. Like this, I don't know how to pronounce it, Mira? Miro. Miro. I don't know why, but I, I just adore it. The feeling it gives. I know that sounds terribly vague. No, no, actually, it confirms something I've always wondered about modern art, abstract art. What is that? That perhaps it's just picking up where religious art left off, somehow trying to show you divinity. The modern artist just pairs it down to the basic elements of shape and color. But when you look at that, Monroe, you feel it just the same. Wow, that's lovely, Raymond. <laughs> Kathleen. Oh, Elle, honey, everything looks just marvelous. Kathy, who on earth is that man? You have this whole place in a clamor. Oh, for heaven's sakes, why? Because of that ridiculous story. Who is he? He's Raymond Deegan, Otis Deegan's son. 
Your gardener? He passed away and Raymond's taken over his business. Oh, you certainly seem on familiar terms with him. Oh, familiar terms? What does that mean? You know, he happens to have some very interesting views on Miro. Oh, jeepers, look at the time. I have to fly. There's a theatrical quality to the character actress portions of the film um, mm-hmm. that it's interesting because uh, you don't get that from... I think this is maybe one of her most restrained roles. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because yeah. she almost has to to cage everything that she normally does around the idea that there is this facade that women have to have in order to be prosperous. There's a role that a woman has to play and she never breaks from it. Even in that heartbreaking moment at the end, when she basically tells Dennis Haysbert that like, she's like, my husband's leaving me. We can be together. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's so heartbreaking. And that's what I mean by like, it doesn't end in the way that you like most of these movies would, where it's or a modern context of those movies would be like, and then everyone learned to love each other. It's like, nope, these people are still going to be racist and homophobic. And that's just the way it is. Um, and everyone's going to be lonely exactly. and die alone. I, at the end of the movie, I was like, so what's she doing now? She doesn't have a husband. She has just like two kids. But, and- but that's the thing, you know, and that's and, and I like that. But as I was saying, so she has to be this restrained and fit this very sort of narrow mold as to what I think one of the most telling scenes of that is um, she tries to have sex with her husband. He can't get it up. Yeah. And he gets so angry at her. He slaps her. And the first thing she says is like, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking to mm-hmm. have the, the, to see the woman that's like this repressed into her own way of life. So because she has to fit this one mold and be a little more repressed, all of the, you know, Patricia Clarkson gets to be a little bigger. Yeah. And um, all these amazing character actresses, uh, Celia Weston, uh, get get to be this sort of like heightened, like, mm-hmm. like, mon- almost slightly more monstrous version yeah. of yeah. the the like henpecked gossipy crowd. I don't know. And she was like, this is a side, like personal sidebar, but she was pregnant at the time she did the movie. Really? And so she was like mm-hmm. kind of fuller faced. And, and there's just something very angelic about everything that she does in the movie. I don't know. I just, I really, it's a synthesis of things for me, but I, I wish she had gotten more awards for, for doing that. And I do like, I, I actually genuinely love the hours. Um, I haven't seen it in years because it's very depressing. I remember I saw it in college and I saw it with an English teacher. Uh, like we just happened to run each other at, run into each other at the opera house as we're leaving. I was like, Oh, you know, I wish, I just wish there was like two more hours of that. She's like, you wanted more. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes, exactly. But I, I just wish they hadn't come out in the same year. Yep. Cause I do think they kind of overshadowed each other. And, and, you know, anyways, Chris, what is your five star? review? My five star review um, is another one of her performances that it's like talking about it and describing what she's doing and what works about it. It's like trying to catch smoke in your hands. Mm. It's um, it's another Todd Haynes movie. It's safe. Oh, um, she's so fucking good at safe. <laughs> safe is, I mean, safe is kind of like an emotional horror film. Yeah. Um, she plays a housewife in California. Her character becomes essentially environmentally allergic. Yeah. Um, and like there's all of these unknown factors in the world that are making her sick and she doesn't know what it is. She goes to various doctors. She seeks various different treatments and eventually ends up in like this culty kind of camp. Um, 
And again, it's so hard to describe, but it's the one that I think still haunts me the most, to speak kind of tritely. Um, it's there's something to Todd Haynes that's always going to be a little academic, where it's like it's just so filled with ideas and um, like it's sometimes like even I think Far From Heaven a little bit is a little bit more interesting to think about and discuss than to actually watch. And I don't think that's that's necessarily the case with Safe. Um, Safe, like if you the first time you watch it, it's like you can't even explain why it's upsetting you so much, but it very much so is. Um, film was conceived in like post the HIV AIDS epidemic, which is very influential on the movie. Yeah. Um, it incorporates a lot of themes about like what's happening to our world and like climate change, I guess, before we even called it climate change culturally. Um, and it just kind of speaks to this dysphoria of you know something is either wrong in you or wrong in the world, and you can't explain what it is. And the way we kind of seek various different, I guess, religions, for lack of a better word, to heal us or to make us feel complete or to to, to like ascribe to what our solution is to like fix ourselves. Do you work? No, I'm a house, um, I'm a, a homemaker. I'm, I'm working on some designs for our house, though, mm -hmm. in my spare time. And, uh, and you have one child. My husband's little boy, um, he's, he's not my son, he's my, my stepson, Rory. He's ten. How long have you been feeling unwell? Um, about two months, three. Um, I I've been under a lot of stress lately, and and then my friend Linda and I. She she's probably my best friend. She lives down the. Um, uh, anyway, uh, we started this fruit diet together. I I think that sort of set it off. So, are you uncomfortable? No, I I just thought. I mean, aren't you supposed to ask more questions? And I think, like, all of that is incredibly, like, nebulous things that you're reaching for. And the way that she can kind of embody all of those themes while at the same time giving this very physical performance is just the kind of thing that just makes you keep returning to the movie. Um, and it's like, this movie is very upsetting every time you watch it um, and what she's doing. It's... Yeah, I and, sorry not to cut you up, but the no, I, go for it. I, I, uh, I think about that scene with the little girl sitting on her lap where she starts to have like what is maybe like an asthma attack or whatever. It yeah. and just the way the camera positions her, and I, I just think it's terrifying. It terrifies me. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's also incredibly funny in yeah. a very dark way. There's this scene where 
you know, it's a very like methodically shot and slow paced and like you feel it building to something while she's in her home and you just have this static shot and she comes to a doorway and like sees something, you know, that shocks her and she says, oh my God. And you think she's going to see like a dead body or something and it's just like furniture that she doesn't like yeah that, uh, that <laughs> and it's scene so is funny. incredible she's like i didn't order the, the black or the teal or yeah that. yeah it's like just this formidable movie that you can almost see the movie and not the performance but then if you rewatch it and pay attention to what she specifically is doing physically she does so much to like make herself small she has this really like incredibly breathy voice that is not normal for her yeah um weird voice. but it never really yeah. feels like an affectation so in a lot of ways her uh the character she plays is named carol white um which is like imagine a more beige name right like, right totally she does a lot of things that are like really insightful on like what femininity is in a current age or like what people what women and especially housewives are expected to do and how little space they're meant to take up um so there's it's like it's just one of those performances that could very easily be an idea but she makes it a very physical person in a way that's really disarming and terrifying and i think unlike a lot of what her performances are because she never really gets to do this are there any other movies we want to mention really quick um i mean there's so many yeah (laughs) so many i mean like again like we the big ones we probably didn't mention but at least we got to talk about them throughout are like boogie nights and magnolia um, I re- I thought I thought Shortcuts was amazing. Oh yeah, she's great in Shortcuts. Yeah. And Shortcuts is a great movie. Uh, I actually also think her other Robert Altman collaboration, Cookie's Fortune. I think she's really fantastic in. Um, and we also mentioned what Maisie knew. I thought that was oh my god. Amazing. I uh, yeah, I genuinely loved what Maisie knew, and I was shocked because I I was re- like, th- first of all, I know it's based off a book from the 1800s called What Maisie Knew, but change that name, change that name. <laughs> um, but like. The way it was shot, how everything was from Maisie's level, yeah, like the the performance. I genuinely don't think um, Julianne Moore has ever given a performance like that. If I could talk up like one, like what it seems some people would consider like a B side Julianne Moore performance, like I almost would say this is a good companion to A Map of the Stars for just like its bodiness. Um, Maggie's plan is wonderful, mm. um, and she's incredible in it. Great, I think we've covered a lot. Yes, absolutely. So why don't we get into our fast forward? Chris, I wanted to ask you, when did you see Gloria Bella? And also, why do you think the movie's coming out right now in the middle of like No Man's Land? Okay, so I saw Gloria Bell with my good friend and uh, co-host of my podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz, Joe Reed. We saw it at uh, last year's Toronto International Film Festival. We saw it kind of late in the festival, um, just because, like, that's how the schedule worked out. But it was also, like, I need this, like, uplifting, like, fun, frivolous movie to, like, be my palate cleanser. And it really kind of wasn't that it was it felt substantial in a way that i hope people really give this movie some credit for being a really like nuanced in-depth character study and not just some like frivolous fun thing i've never seen a movie use total eclipse of the heart to better effect wow um if i can't tell you on it 
But why is it coming out now? I mean, I think some people are curious if it could be an Oscar play for her. I mean, I think it would have probably, had they put it out at the end of last year, been more of a Golden Globes thing. Um, it's it's really wonderful to see her get this kind of showcase. I don't know if awards bodies really reward things that aren't so emotionally like huge. Mm. It's a very nuanced performance. Um in the way that the original performer Paulina Garcia was, and like she didn't really get notices either. Um, but I mean, like again, I think for audiences, it can be a nice palate cleanser right now. It's after the Oscar season is over, and there's a lot of ill will we're willing to put behind us, yep, yep. and we want to see something fun. Like I think you have it on a larger scale right now with Captain Marvel, and then like the f- the smaller movie option is Gloria Bell. Um, so like I if you're asking for the calendar season in terms of like Oscar stuff like I don't think it necessarily needs to be that movie but like I think this is exactly the kind of movie that people will be wanting to see right now. I think we also have to talk about how we kind of have like breaking Julianne Moore news where she Oh talks, yes, she recently yes. talked about how she um was fired from Will You Ever Forgive Me um which she was replaced by Melissa McCarthy, who got nominated for an Oscar. I didn't leave that movie. I was fired. <laughs> Were you? Yeah, yeah. Nicole fired me. Really? So, yeah. So, yeah, was that's there the truth. A reason that you... I think she didn't like what I was doing. Oh, really? Yeah. So you started shooting it? No, we hadn't shot... We, we hadn't been... We'd just been kind of rehearsing and doing pre-production and stuff, and I think that her idea of where the character was... Um, was was different than where my idea of the character was, and so she fired me. And did you see yeah. the movie? I haven't yet because it's still kind of painful. I love Melissa McCarthy. I, yeah. I worship her. I think she's fantastic. So I'm wow. sure she's great. But I, I, I'm, you know, but that's so that's the story. I mean, that must yeah. be so feel so rejected to be fired. It's pretty bad. The only other time I was fired was when I was uh, working at a yogurt stand when I was <laughs> yes. 15. Yes. So it felt, yeah, it felt bad. The unfortunate thing is, like, you really hope that there wasn't ill will there. Right. You really just want a world where. You want to believe in a world where N- Julianne Moore and Nicole Hall of Center could still work together. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's I I saw you tweet about that too, and that's what I th- I was like, oh, like because I hadn't heard the news yet, and I was like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, like please don't let it mean that there is ill will out there. But also, like I don't know that they went through other people as like uh, uh, Sam Rockwell was cast. Uh, really? Yeah, and Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd. I was think cast Chris O'Dowd well. was the one that was in the rehearsals with Julianne with Moore, Julianne if Moore. I remember correctly. Yeah, so, like, I'm glad the, the version of the movie we got. I yeah. loved it. So. Yeah, I meet same. And it's weird, like, I'm trying, now I'm thinking, like, okay, imagine this movie with Julianne Moore and Chris O'Dowd. It, it, I don't know, it, it would have been so different. It would have been so different. Like, Richard E. Grant is such a gift. Yeah. You know? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think Julianne Moore is going to land on her feet. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> um, she, yeah. Okay. She's fine. Uh, her upcoming films include After the Wedding, which is a remake of the Susan Beard's Danish film, with her husband, uh, Bert, Bart? Bart Freundlich. Bart Freundlich. Yeah, directing. And then she's got, she's playing another Gloria. She's doing, uh, playing Gloria Steinem in the biopic The Gloria, uh, The Gloria's A Life on the Road. Uh, the role is being shared with Alicia Vikander and Lulu Wilson as well. So, we have that to look forward to. And she's in Joe Wright's next movie, The Woman in the Window. Uh, which is based off the novel of controversy of late. Um, and that's, yes. and that's her and Amy Adams and Gary Oldman. So 
she's fine. To wrap up the episode, is there anything else that we want to see from Julianne Moore? I mean, I didn't realize that she is literally on her way to being a 60-year-old Womana. Yeah. Uh, prime of her life. You know, I can't wait to see her as Gloria Steinem. I, you know, it's going to sound weird because I, I love everything that she does and she's so great at it. Uh, I recently watched uh, An Ideal Husband, and I want to see her play more bitches. <laughs> I want to see her play <laughs> more bitches. Like, yeah. I, I just really, I, I, she's so delicious in that role. <laughs> like, literally, there's no other word for it. You stole Gertrude's letter. Losing a man is scant cause for concern, but losing a man to her is another matter entirely. And so I feel it only right that Sir Robert should know, as indeed he shall, when the letter arrives at his office first thing in the morning. Uh, mine is a two-pronged answer. I want to see Gloria Bell make $100 million at the box yes, office. Yes, yes. Um, and, I mean, I guess my more basic answer, and, like, I'm this... I love her work with auteurs. I would love to see her maybe like attach herself to a new auteur. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but my curiosity is very, very high to potentially see her work with Paul Thomas Anderson again. Wow. Because I think he is a very different filmmaker now than he was when they worked together. So I would be interested to see what they could come up with together now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Totally. Um, the last movie I saw before we recorded was um we didn't talk about this was bel canto yes um and i didn't i didn't talk about it for reasons um and you know it's whatever but i will say i thought her and ken watanabe have such good chemistry they do and um i'm picking back off of that and my previous statement that i thought her and uh joseph gordon levitt having sex all the time in don john was so hot you you just want to watch her have sex i I just (laughs) when i see her on stage with like these characters that she has such great chemistry with i'm just like i believe it i'm there it's i mean it takes a lot for me to like want to watch straight people make out and fuck but like god i mean her and ken watanabe who like do not speak the same language but like it was so romantic like when they're learning each other's language and i was just like oh this is good stuff that was in terms of her her role in that movie that was my my favorite part was because everything else i actually had a hard time buying which is a rarity for me for her. I mean, she was lip syncing for her life. <laughs> <laughs> it was not great. I just want her to continue. Like, I, I definitely love her just still being the sexy, fierce bitch yeah. that, like, you know, and I love that about her. You know, she, she started off like, you know, fearless, um, you know, having, and then she talked a lot about like, she's like, people always want to talk to me about like these sex scenes and right. like, if I'm uncomfortable and she's like, no, we're humans. We have sex. Like, who cares? Right. And I love that. And she hasn't lost any of that. And, um, and you can, I mean, she has that spark in her always. And I love seeing it. Thank you so much, Chris, for suggesting yes. her. Thank you for having me. Oh, like, please. like I said, my life has built up to unpacking her entire career yes, in audio form. Yes, your expertise really was needed and oh, helpful. Um, so good work, good job, and I am so happy that we were finally able to, um, you know, kind of make this Megazord happen. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is such a blast. Uh, Chris, where can we find you online? 
Uh, you can find me uh, writing weekly at thefilmexperience.net. I write about soundtracks and other things. I'm also on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Um, also, Letterbox at Chris V File. And my podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz, is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Just yeah. not Spotify. If you want yet. more Julianne more content, you guys talked about Crazy, um, crazy Stupid, Stupid Love, Love and Hannibal. We've done Crazy Stupid Love and Hannibal, and I'm sure we'll do more of her movies soon yeah and and seriously like and and like this is no joke and not blowing smoke up your joe's asses like you it's such a good show and and oh thank you it genuinely a joy to listen to so if if any of our listeners have not gone to listen to this on oscar buzz which i think is ridiculous because i think we actually got a huge bump in listeners when i guessed it on your show um please go do that it's so good me and my friends now play the imdb game Yeah, if, there, if there's one mark that. on people's lives, yeah. That's, <laughs> Thank you so much for introducing me. <laughs> um, also, go back and listen to our episode that Gavin guested on on yeah. to Julian on her 37th birthday. I think it's our longest episode. <laughs> Surprising, no and one. It's yeah. like truly a good one. So Lou, go back and Louis listen. To like that. shocked, <laughs> right? Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> Gavin talking. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm sorry <laughs> uh, where can we find our show gavin uh so you can contact us on twitter at at the mixed reviews we're on facebook just type in the mixed reviews you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com leave us little love notes yeah i love love notes shortcuts Ooh. <laughs> um and you can listen to us everywhere at google play stitcher all the places where you can find this hot oscar buzz if you listen to us on itunes and or stitcher radio please feel free to leave us a five-star review we'll read it on the show we actually have a couple more but because we had a guest in didn't want to i didn't want to make you feel jealous and uh you know it just helps us get out to other people and th- then they can listen to us and we can be part of our, our yeah. big family yeah this was fun let's do the time warp again <laughs> thank you so much chris we really appreciate having you thank you, you. all right bye guys bye bye keep it quiet keep it cool lipstick letters and soup